Well, he did mention that we are kind of taking a break from Romans 7 and that we have, you know, stopped there and that we'll resume in that in February or January and uh, that we are taking some time off and to, to consider some other things. Um, so let me tell you why, because if we just look at deep, if we're looking at theology and theology alone and we're just gathering knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, and yet we are not examining our hearts along the way, then that leads us to some cold and, and lifeless and just dead religion, as James would say. And so we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that our theology is lining up and our hearts are aligning and that they're coming together to push us to, more, uh, to be more like Christ and to, to urge us, to, as the writer of Hebrews would say, to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. And so um, we want to make sure that's happening and that make sure that's happening here in this body and, and, and here at, um, amongst us. And so if we just study without any practical application, what that leads to, Scripture says, is just a puffing up of knowledge. And, and if you're truly studying God, then, then your lives will be changed, right? Then, then um, I will be changed and, and my, my family will be changed and, and my my possessions will be changed in the way I see those, and, and my marriage will be changed. And so we are here to ensure that as we approach God, that we are not here just to know Him and just know about Him, but we are here to know Him and to love Him and ensure that what we know and what we love are aligning. And so that's why we're walking into this five-week series we're calling Parables, Kingdom Secrets. And uh, and there's a reason that we're we're subtitling this thing kingdom secrets number one this is the language of jesus he says he says that um when the disciples ask him hey jesus why do you speak in parables he says well uh i do this for a reason um number one i need you to know the secrets of what it's like to live into the kingdom what the christian life should look like and so you need to know this i'm instructing you but i'm also concealing the truths uh, the, the the heavenly truths from those who don't know me, and who would think this is foolishness. And so this, is, this was Jesus' answer to his disciples when they asked in Matthew chapter 13, where we'll be today, about why are you speaking in parables? And, then, uh, and so as we dive in, just kind of keep that in mind, and we'll be in this for the next five weeks, uh, as, as Jesus has chosen to reveal to us and to conceal to others through the teaching of parables. Now, before we go any further, we need to talk about what a parable is. Okay, so... We say, okay, Jared, you're, you're, we're talking about the parables of Jesus, but what is that? And so a parable is simply this. It is a, 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 a little English lesson here. It is a practical story that uses the words like or as most of the time to illustrate a spiritual truth. So in the two parables that we'll read, in the three verses that we'll read today, there you will see the word like. Jesus used the word like there to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, okay? So you'll understand that this is what the parable is, and this is why he uses it. He uses it because, number one, Jesus, he's, he's speaking to farmers, and he's speaking to fishermen. And so when you take everyday occurrences and stories, and you, you speak to, to, to people using the, that language and those things, you're able to reveal and show the deep truths of God to these, to these guys. And so that's, that's, what I, that's good preaching, right? I mean, and that's, that's the way that we should consider as speaking about the truths of Jesus when we're speaking to those who may not know. 
are speaking to others and encouraging them, using everyday occurrences and life as the foundation to share the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ and to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. So that's what we're doing, and that's where we're at. And so let me give you a little context for Matthew chapter 13 before we dive in and we read our verses today. So in this chapter alone, there are seven parables. Now, Jesus spoke and and taught many other parables, but just in Matthew 13, there are seven parables here. And so in this chapter, Jesus' goal, overarching goal with these seven parables, is to explain the spiritual truth and the, the characteristics of the kingdom of God. You'll also hear Jesus call it the kingdom of heaven. So when I say kingdom of God, when I say kingdom of heaven, if you heard somebody say the kingdom of the blessed, when you hear someone say the kingdom of Christ, this is the same thing, okay? Uh, as, a, um, as a first century Jew, they, they typically um, they, they, they stayed away from speaking the name of God, Yahweh. And so oftentimes, he would, uh, they would, they would um, substitute other names to present and, and to speak of God. And so he was the kingdom of heaven, for instance, right? Or the kingdom of the blessed. And so that's why you see that written that way, that way in this passage. So, so we're looking at the characteristics of the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is a major theme in the entire book of Matthew. If you looked throughout it, you would see this kingdom pop up time and time. And we'll even look at a couple of verses later that speak of the kingdom of God. And so we're looking today and over the next five weeks about, okay, what is the kingdom of God? Um, where is it? How do I obtain it? Um, you know, what's it look like to live in it? And hopefully we're going to be answering those questions and ensuring that our theology matches up with our hearts and that these things align and stir us to love and to, and to show the love of God in our world. So let's read Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And scripture says here, Jesus is speaking. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's your first parable. Second parable, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. All right, so um, before we, I think, go any further, we have to kind of address our subject matter. And so Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of heaven. So we need to define what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is, okay? So let me do that for you. I want to read so I don't mess this up. Um, The kingdom of heaven, all right, stay with me. I'll explain it, but stay with me. Is the present, the current, now, Redemptive rule of God through Jesus over believers. And the future redemptive rule of God through Jesus in eternity. So let me, let me just restate it to kind of get it in our heads. The kingdom of heaven is the present redemptive rule of God through Jesus Christ over believers. And the future redemptive rule of God through Jesus Christ in eternity. So let me explain what redemptive rule it means. You say, Jerry, man, you're just kind of going circular. Hold on, I'll get you there, okay? I promise. Okay, so I use the words redemptive rule here on purpose, first and foremost, because Jesus Christ rules over believers. So those who have been redeemed, so those who have been literally purchased from slavery to sin and given freedom in Christ. So the kingdom of heaven... When Jesus speaks of it, he's only talking about the kingdom of believers. 
Now, I'm not saying that God or, and Jesus do not, and, and the Holy Spirit do not reign. They're not sovereign over the world. I'm not saying that. But when Jesus speaks specifically of the kingdom of heaven, he is referring only to the kingdom of believers in which believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sins and they have been bought and redeemed um, from the slavery of sin and given freedom. Okay? So, that means that Jesus Christ, when I was eight years old, I said to Jesus, Lord, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. I am submitting to your authority. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And so I'm saying, and you are saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus, reigns and rules over your life right now. Right? Right now. Now, I'm also saying that the kingdom of heaven is still to come. And so we have not completely seen the new heavens and the new earth, right? We have not seen heaven in its entirety. And so we are promised that Jesus will not reign now only, but reign in the future too. And so this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It is now and it is the future and it is believers who have been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So this is the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to know I'm just not making this up. So I'm going to summarize Revelation chapter 5 for you. Our, our, our college students, we've been walking through this. Uh, my wife and I walk with some college students on Sunday nights in disciple group, discipleship groups. And, and in Revel, we've been studying Revelation. And, and we just studied this last week. And I want to share with you what Revelation says. So we see through John's testimony, John has been brought up into heaven. Literally, he sees heaven. And I believe he sees heaven. And in there, he sees God the Father sitting upon the throne. And so God, um, the, um, John is watching this as someone calls out. Or they're looking for somebody who is worthy to take the scroll, which shows the plan for the coming days, out of God's hand. And to break the seven seals, the wax seals that have sealed it shut. And they're looking for someone. And, and, and John, he, he's looking around and he sees no one. And he just literally begins to weep loudly, Scripture says, not just to cry, but to weep loudly because there is no one who is worthy to reveal and to break the seals. And the elder, one of the believers in heaven, looks to John and he says, dry it up because the lamb who has been slain is worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the Father. And so God sitting upon his throne is approached by the slain lamb, which, by the way, I've never seen a slain lamb alive. And it is proof and testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrected Savior walks to the throne of God, and he takes from him the scroll in which has been seven seals have been placed upon it. And he alone is worthy because of his perfection and sinless life to take that scroll and to break its seals, therefore revealing God's plan for the rest of eternity. And not only does Jesus reveal God's plan from that scroll, but he also has been put in charge with now implementing God's plan. And so we see in Revelation chapter 5 that God the Father has given Jesus Christ, the slain lamb, total reign and rule and dominion over what is to come. And so Jesus Christ rules and reigns over the kingdom of heaven. And God rules through Jesus, the slain lamb, and this is his pleasing and perfect plan that we see in Revelation 5. 
And now, um, this would just kind of be like us thinking about, uh, I, I want to remind you of, of the not yet, and, and, and or, let me restate that. I want to remind you that the kingdom of heaven is present and yet still to come. It would just be like me. I have three children, right? And so um, it would be like me saying, Cohen John Norris, our three-year-old, is my son. And he will continue to be my son. And he is to submit to me. Now, we're not questioning whether he actually does that or not, okay? That's not part of this conversation. But he is to submit to me as I, as I do my best to lead him in the Lord now and in the coming days. When he is an adult, Lord willing, and he gets married and moves out of our home, and I get to be with my wife one-on-one -on -one again, whoo, yeah, I can't wait for that, uh, that, that he is still to submit to me as I am his father and he is my son. Now, whether that happens, let's just try to make it to the fourth birthday, right? Let's just not, let's not count our chickens before they hatch, right? So now that we understand the kingdom of God, let's look at how Jesus and Matthew describe it. So in verse 44 here, we see the kingdom of heaven being said that it is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man finds, and then he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field and receive that treasure, so let me explain that. You're like, okay, well, that doesn't really make sense. Well, so in that day, they didn't have Regents Bank. They didn't have IRAs or savings accounts or safety deposit boxes, right? And so if you had something valuable, you would literally take it out and bury it, right? You probably know some folks like that. I know my grandfather used to do stuff like that all the time, but his was the mattress, right? And so they would hide, and they would hide their valuables in that way. And so if you buried your valuables and you died... And you didn't tell anybody where your valuables were? Well, guess what? No one knows, right? And so if you were to be walking through a field or if you were to be digging something or, 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 and you found these valuables, it would be like hitting the jackpot. And so you would have realized that everything held precious by this man, his valuables, his money, whatever it may be, you had now found. And it would be exciting to you. And so you would bury it. To make sure no one else got it because you would not want to, want to have broken the law and taken some property that, that was not yours. But if you go sell everything that you, uh, that you own and you get everything you can together to go buy that field and then now that, those valuables are now yours. You have obtained that treasure. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Matthew says in 44. Now in 45 and 46, we see this a different picture. We see the picture of this perfect pearl that this merchant has found. And so as he is going through and is knowledgeable and knows about these jewels and he is searching and he is, oh, I don't like that one. That, no, that's, that's imperfection there. Oh, oh, but this pearl. And he has found this one pearl. He will immediately have gone and sold all his inventory and all his possessions so that he can have just this one. And so we see the great value that Jesus is placing here on the kingdom of heaven. And, what, and to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. To be a part of the rule and the reign and to be under the reign of Jesus Christ. Because pearls in that day in Palestine would have been literally priceless. You think, girls, your diamonds are worth something? No, you can go ahead and throw them in the trash. Due to the great value that these pearls would have hold due to their location and how difficult it would have been to obtain these, literally would have been priceless. 
And so you see only the very, very, very rich having obtained a treasure this valuable. And so when these people hear this, when these poor farmers and fishermen hear the words of Jesus, they are struck by the value of the kingdom of heaven. And so to state the meaning of these parables, let me say it this way. Having the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that losing everything in life and still having it is a happy trade-off. Let me say that again. Having the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that losing everything in life, and I mean everything. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about your possession, your jobs. Having lost all those things and still having this, man, is a happy trade-off. Not a sorrowful one. Oh, don't, don't twist my arm and make me know. But a joyful trade-off here. Because it is worth it all, Jesus is saying. J.C. Ryle says this about these parables. These two parables are trying to teach us that men really convinced of the importance of salvation will give up everything to win Christ and eternal life. See, both people in the parable, they were convinced that they had found a thing of great value. They spent no time weighing the pros and cons. Well, should I sell all my pearls and all my gems to get that one? Is it worth it? You know? They're not sitting there thinking, well, should I or shouldn't I? They're acting with no hesitation because they realize that everything they own and they possess has no value compared to the treasure that they have laid their eyes upon. This is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. This is what it's like. It is worth it all. These individuals, they didn't see this trade as some burden, but they saw it as a bargain. This is a bargain. You mean I have to give up everything I own to get that? Absolutely, he says. Verse 44 speaks, and I, I sort of mentioned to it earlier, uh, the word joy. Speaks of the joy of the man as he goes and he sells all that he has. Did this man sacrifice something? Yeah, I mean, we all realize that. He gave up this all this, these things, all his possessions to buy that field and obtain that treasure. He did, absolutely. But was it worth it all? Was that treasure worth it all? Yes, it was. And he did it in joy. I never knew one of my grandfathers. Um, he died about 30 years before I was born. And um, a few years ago, I was speaking to, um, or preaching and, and speaking to some gentlemen at my grandmother's funeral. And this, I love that because I, I began to learn things I had never known about him. And uh, he began to tell me a story about the day he died. And I'd never heard this, and I don't know that even my father knew this story at the time. And, but this is this gentleman's recollection and his memory. And this has kind of been an image that has been burned into my mind. If you go to Loudoun, Tennessee, to Providence Baptist Church, you won't see this building anymore because it has since burned down. But there's a new church there. But in that day, there used to be a white church, and I can, I can remember it as a child, with large stained glass windows on, along the sides, about 100, 125 people. This white church building was kind of literally nestled up next to the woods with a cemetery on one side. And 
the awesome AstroTurf green carpet on the steps. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so this man was standing out uh, on, the, um, on the front steps, and uh, he tells the story that my grandfather walked out. And as you walk out of that church, you're facing west, and you're looking kind of into the sunset and the evenings, and you look across the road, and there's, a, there's pasture filled there, still filled with cows. And, and as you look at the cows, they're, they're on these rolling hills. And the hills literally like roll and lead all the way up to this big, tall ridge with the sun kind of setting on it in the evenings. It's really a gorgeous sight. And um, he tells the story that my grandfather walked out. And he looks at him, and he says, I cannot wait till the day that I get to heaven with my Savior and Lord, Christ Jesus. And then a few hours later, my grandfather died of a massive heart attack. And you think of a statement like that. And a man can only make that statement if there is great joy in the treasure that he has found. Because let me tell you, I never knew the man, but I know his treasure. And I know that joy. And I know what it means to give all those things that could be or that you would want so that you could obtain that pearl that Matthew and that Christ speak about. You see these kind of statements when you read missionaries. That's why when you read missionaries that can have faced the most horrible atrocities that you could speak of on this earth, literally moving, sailing across the world and finding their home in India to watch their wife literally go crazy and die in a foreign country, in a land they do not know, and to watch their life's work of translating scripture so that some may know of this valuable treasure and translating that into indigenous languages, watch that go up in flames as the warehouse in which they printed and they did their translation goes up. And then they still write. I have sacrificed nothing for the sake. So these are statements of joy. These are men who have known the value and the treasure of Jesus. And in these parables, Jesus is warning his disciples. He says that you are in danger of missing the kingdom if anything else in the world is more valuable, more precious than the kingdom of God and the treasure that is Jesus. We read John Calvin. He recognizes this warning and he says, We are greatly in need of such a warning. For we are so captivated by the allurements of the world that eternal life, it just fades from our view. And in consequence of our carnality, the spiritual graces of God are far from being held by us in the estimation which they deserve. Is that true of us? We have to ask ourselves that question. Has the world so lured us away that we do not give the treasure that is the kingdom of heaven a second look? I mean, has our vacations pulled us away? Has our money pulled us away? Has our kids pulled us away? This morning, uh, I wasn't really expecting this, but I walked, uh, was walking through the foyer and my 
kids and wife, they come through the door. And my kids like, you know, daddy, and they, they like tackle you, right? And in that moment, I realize that I'm not sure that my kids know that I value the treasure that is the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ above their life. And I hope they do. Last night as I looked at my oldest in bed, and he's sleeping up on the bunk bed, I made sure he heard those words from his daddy. That I value Jesus above all things. And I cannot wait to be with you guys this morning. But he was excited about the fall fest. Just saying. But I was excited about this with you. And being here amongst you in the word. And knowing that God is here. And he is working in our lives. And that we are not people just stuck on knowing of God. But we are people stuck and desiring to know God more. And to live for him. But this seems to be the MO for the American church. This seems to be the thing we're struggling with. Is the kingdom of heaven our treasure? Church analytic experts, they look at the, they look at the, the stats and they tell us that if a person is attending church once a month, that is now classified as a regular attender. That this is commonplace now in our culture. And why? Have the allurements of the world so ensnared and entrapped us that we have forgotten the value of the priceless pearl of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his reign and his rule? What's more important to us? Football, sleeping in, travel ball, the lake, whatever it may be. But Jesus here, he's portraying a kingdom of God as only attainable for those who forsake all other desires and devote their resources and time to obtaining it. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Jesus is saying that we can purchase or buy our way into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I'm not. Jesus speaks specifically against that. If we look earlier in Matthew chapter 5, we see this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of God. And notice here it says the poor in spirit. He's not talking about the rich, but those who approach as if they have nothing to give because they have sold it all and counted all as rubbish to obtain this one priceless pearl that is God and Jesus, through, reigning through Jesus Christ and being a part of that kingdom. Jesus says it again over in Mark chapter 10. He says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And my friends, I've worked with a lot of kids and did children's ministry for 10 years, and I've never met a rich child. At least they didn't share with me, right? I've never met a rich child because Jesus is saying that it will cost you everything. Now, he's saying it is a free gift. He is saying that being part of the kingdom of heaven can be received easily. It costs you nothing to purchase. It is free. But you must want it more than you want anything else. It would be like a child walking into a toy store. One of the most amazing toy stores you've ever seen. And you're looking around and this child is, 
and seeing the toys on the shelves and the, and the remote control things and the, the Legos and, and just everything that can captivate their imagination. And they see this one toy and their eyes are fixed upon it. And the toy store owner walks up to the child and he bends down and he says, you see that one toy, toy right there? That is greater than any toy in this store. You can have that one toy for free. If you want it more than any other toy in this store. This is what Christ is saying. You can have this for free if you want it more than anything else. You get it because you want it more than anything else. And how badly do you want to call Jesus the Lord of your life and to say, Christ, you rule over me? How badly do you want it? Just think about it for a second. I mean, how bad a deal is it to be ruled by the all-knowing? All-powerful, perfect, righteous, just ruler of the world. You want that. You know how I know you want it? Because you make fun of those who are in leadership who get it wrong on Facebook. I see the memes, right? We all laugh at that, and we laugh at it. Because that fool said that wrong thing, right? And we laugh at it. But to be ruled and to be led by one who is perfect, who would not do that, we will value that. And we will go and do whatever it takes to know that kind of leadership, to know that kind of ruler, and to know that man as king and lord of our life. That's what Jesus is saying. How badly do you want to know him as lord? How badly do you want to know and let him rule and reign in your life? Philippians 3, 7 and 8. This is Paul's testimony here. He says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I have sold my possessions, gotten rid of it all, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is a man who has spoken of the thing he has valued more. That these other things in his life he will sell all and count as rubbish due to the value and, and, and the, the worth of Jesus Christ. Because he is worth it all. It is worth it all. Paul's testimony here is he's explaining the true Christian. He's explaining what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven, to be part of the kingdom of God. He says, you do what you do, you say what you say, because you are persuaded that it is worth it all. You have understood it and known it to be true, that it is worth it all. You reject the world. You're violent and killing your sin. You sever anything that's unfruitful in your life. You give up everything and you count them as rubbish because of the value of Christ Jesus in your life. You go wherever God calls you, right? You're faithfully and tirelessly sharing the gospel at every turn because of the great value that the kingdom of heaven holds in your life. Why? Why do you do that? Because true Christians are convinced that Christ will tenfold replace 
all they gave up. Just Christ alone. Having him is greater than having anything else. That's what Matthew is saying. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. And we should be convinced that Jesus is more valuable than money and relationships and sin. And to win Christ, we will make any sacrifice. This is true faith. And this is the true kind of faith that the only the work of the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. Because honestly, Romans teaches us, and we have understood and known to be true, that there's nothing good in us. And so we are fully dependent upon God giving us the desire and to want to value Christ in this way. You can do nothing to obtain this. This is a free gift that God must do and work in your life. And so I encourage you to fall to your knees and just plead for God to make the kingdom of heaven valuable. As valuable as that priceless pearl or that treasure that was found. Now, in this, in these parables, we also see that the non-Christian is explained here. That they are what they are and they do what they do because they do not see their surpassing worth. They're not persuaded of the worth and the value of Jesus. I was reading an article this week of, of a man who goes every Saturday to Louisville, Kentucky to a, an abortion clinic. And uh, those can be very violent scenes at times and very difficult scenes for a person to walk through. I want you to know that. It's a, because you have people fighting for life and People not fighting for life. And so, as you pull up to your appointment at a clinic, oftentimes they have escorts who will escort that couple or that young lady into the clinic. And this man, his job is not to go into the clinic. He's not allowed to. But he will walk behind them and speak the truth of Jesus Christ to them so that they may hear and that they may be persuaded to turn back and to save this child's life. And so as he walks, and this lady is flanked by two individuals in orange vests, and he is in a green vest, like one of those safety green vests, he would speak, this is your child. How could, uh, he is alive. Please save him. And he said, oftentimes that women will turn around and, and go back to the car that they will reconsider. But he said the thing that breaks his heart the most is those escorts who hear every week the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they do not value it. They do not value Jesus. They do not see him as the treasure or as that perfect pearl. They do not know him. And that's what breaks his heart. And that's what the non-Christian looks like. They are what they are and they do what they do because they're not persuaded by the worth of Jesus Christ. They will not commit themselves. They will not forsake sin. They will not stand on the Bible and look at the pervasive culture. Why? Because they are not convinced that it will pay off for them. They do not see any reward for siding with Jesus. band comes up, I want to ask you 
Is Jesus your treasure? Is he worth it all? Do your kids know that? Because if they don't, it's a good chance that he may not be your treasure. I want you to... I want you to think and examine your heart in light of the parables and the teaching of Jesus Christ here. That the far surpassing worth of being a part of the kingdom of heaven is that it is not only now, but eternity has already been set. And that Christ is in charge and in control of implementing the plan of God. It is worth it all. Jesus is worth it all. And I pray that you would let the Holy Spirit just make sure that your theology and what you know of God is aligning with how you know God and how you view Him as ruler and Lord of your life. Because let me tell you and press and persuade you and, and ask you to believe that He is worth it all. Let's pray. Father, as we come and, and kneel before you and as we call you Lord and cry out to you, God, we ask that you would help us to know and, per, and be persuaded in our lives to count all the things that are not you as rubbish and that we would only value that in which you value, that we would only value you, our relationship with you, knowing you, speaking of you, seeing you at work in our life and in our friends' lives, worshiping you, that would be our treasure and our great value. God, we ask, I ask and I plead that God, at any point, if there is something that does not align with you, that you would reveal it to each and every one of us. Just as you've revealed things to me this week about my life. And I pray that, God, we would turn from those things and that we would turn and be reminded that the world has no control over us in Christ Jesus. And remind us to gaze upon heaven and commit to our minds the value and worth of Jesus. We ask this, that this would happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and for the glory of you, God, who sits upon the throne.